Watch it, boys racing. Here we go, and go hot. And go hot. Very good. The Paddler's Pod with Sam and Mecca. Hello and welcome back to the Paddlers Pod and welcome back to Australia, fresh yeah, off the good. plane, Mackenzie Heiner. <laughs> welcome Jet home. As well. Mate, I'm pumped. It's good to be. It's good to be back here. Uh, I'm a little bit jet lagged. I'm not going to lie. I got back at some ungodly hour. I'll call out Brisbane Airport Services. Their passport immigration and quarantine. Oh, he's not. They, he's not they are so bad. They kill me. It took me an hour forty-five from ten thirty at night to get through. Terrible. But that's enough for me, Winston. There's no more of that. I'm back in the country. I'm ready to go. Had an amazing trip with my girlfriend over in the UK. The first time we've been there. Spent some time travelling around Scotland in a camper yeah. van. And meeting some Scottish listeners of the Paddler's Pod as well. Yes, yes. Old Michael over there, he was a great fan. He actually, um, I wore my new, the Paddler's News t-shirt through whilst over there and the white one too. So, and it was quite funny when I met with him, he was like looking at my t-shirt and he was like, oh, do you guys have t-shirts now? I'm like... Yeah, I sort of felt bad. Where it was a you... soft launch. I know. It was a soft launch on social media, wasn't it? We got a few made up and wore a couple across at the World Championships there. I gave the shirts off my back to Oscar Chalupski, <laughs> but I'm glad that you got a good run out of yours. Sky, your partner, Macker, even tagged the paddler in a couple of your holiday photos. Did she? Which was good. That's yeah, so nice funny. Shout out for the merch. So, Proud sponsor. Well, that's one thing we're going to be working on is, is getting that merch out there, but... Uh, Mac, you're still wearing your bronze medal as well. I think you would have put it away <laughs> after a few weeks. Oh, you are lying. It is, it's not still around my neck. It was around my neck for a little bit. I was pretty pretty chuffed with it, I won't lie. It was, uh, it was a good feeling to stand on the podium with those other two incredible athletes. And I mean, it was a stacked field, so to come out with a third place, it was incredible. And no, the medal has come off now. Um, otherwise, in the hot weather that I've just been welcomed back to on the Gold Coast, it'd be pretty well stuck to my chest with sweat. Speaking of sweat, we uh, we're also maybe a little bit sick after our trip overseas. Sam, just coming out of a bit oh, of a nice segue. Yeah, just about a bit of a hidey <laughs> hole. I'm still sweating out the bed sheets. I think that shocks no one who listened to the podcast that we did <laughs> while we were at Worlds. Um, unsurprisingly, racing actually made me a lot worse, and I came back yeah, home and got thought? off the plane and had a week off work sick where i did not much except for actually work on the television program that we've now announced that's actually out Big there Macca, that happened in your overseas holiday is that the paddler is going to be making a tv show you can hear about that on the last episode a special episode that we did of the paddlers pod where why not it was announced we're also putting five <laughs> grand on a hotspot that wasn't yeah. something that was previously Jeez, discussed but elder said yeah that'll be interesting let's do that so Mate, there is plenty happening around that Shore and Partners WA Race Week, and that's what we're now working towards, both mm-hmm. in terms of excitement and content and talking points, but also training too. We've got to get back into it, the two of us. You got to have a holiday, <laughs> and you missed training because of your holiday. I missed training sick in bed, so I know which one I rather would have done. And I also still paddled on my holiday and ran. Oh, yeah, what was paddling in Scotland like, Mac? I've done, I actually did a, a downwinder on Loch Ness race. before. I did a race there in Scotland as well. Yeah. You complain enough about the weather in Wollongong when you go back there. I reckon <laughs> you would have got a rude shock in Scotland. It was actually the most picture-perfect day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. I paddled at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 
There wasn't any wind, which was annoying because it would have been nice to do a downwind Good on Loch Ness. Good for you, like though. You're you a flatwater but... specialist now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get rid of that title. That kills me. That actually hurts my core. Uh, no, it was so beautiful. The water was freezing. So, you know, normally I uh, take a little leak when I go for a paddle. I didn't do that because I didn't, couldn't bear to wash, wash out the seat with the cold water. But no, it was amazing. Got just, just a short little 9K paddle. It, um, made sure that Sky and I didn't rip each other apart from frustration <laughs> on the trip. I definitely needed an outlet of physical activity. And it's something that I reckon I'm craving since I've been back. And oh, geez, it's been so good to get back in the boat. Hey, where did you paddle? I have to double check. I don't know. We went so many places. Oh, so you paddled in a few spots? No, I just paddled in one spot. I just can't remember the name. All right. Well, um, clearly it was a memorable paddle. You had a great, you had a great time doing it. <laughs> just outside of Inverness. Oh, okay. Yeah, true. Yeah, no, that is where I did the race. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was not far out of there. It's just as the the coast cutting into Inverness. It was just um, on the eastern side of that, and you can see how the wind must just funnel through there. It must be so good. But the only problem is, like Michael said, if you fall out in winter when the wind's at its strongest, you've got like seven minutes before you're basically in hypothermia or worse than you like can't function. I was like, yeah, it doesn't seem that enjoyable. Great. I stick to my shorts and shirt. Good vibes to start this episode Paddling. of the Paddler's Pod. Um, very exciting stuff for everyone. Uh, Mac, it is great to have you home, mate. It's great to be back to on a podcast no, again too, actually. It's, um, it had been a little it's while. It's been some time. Yeah. Well, I thought it was important that you got a break. I don't know if that was going to be fair to Sky for <laughs> saying, hey, Mac, while you're on holidays, can we record a podcast? I still had to work, so you didn't you didn't uh, take much away. She still got the shits with me. All right, there's still plenty for us to chat about your holiday. There's still plenty to chat about on this episode of the Paddlers Pod as well. We are going to be talking about, I guess, one of the forgotten paddlers in the world this year, Tommy Norton. We are going to be speaking about what is undoubtedly the most cooked story I've ever seen in surf ski racing. <laughs> but to kick things off, Maka, we're going to be doing a throwback to one of the last trips we went on before gee, all of that wound up in our Power Plays. The Paddler's Pod. Power Plays. Which this episode is brought to you by the Shaw and Partners 20 Beaches Ocean Classic. That race is one of the biggest in Australia and it is coming around very quickly. Head to 20beaches.com.au for all of the information. Number three. More to come from Mocha after Whack the Wave win. We are reaching, well, we are reaching well into the distant past now to talk about this one, but I thought it was really important. It is. A few months ago, Malaysia hosted its first ever international surf ski race, the Whack the Wave. It was won by David Mocha. Kent Jenkinson from WA was second. Maka, you were third in a result that made me question how you would go at Worlds, but I guess you blew that out of the water. Danielle McKenzie won that race by about two hours over what was like a seven-hour total race time. So that was a really impressive performance from her. But Mac, I don't really want to talk about the racing today. Yeah. We've done that. We've spoken We've about it socially since then. I think everyone's across it. What I want to speak to you about and get your thoughts on is the event and paddling in Malaysia because it was, as I mentioned, the first time they've hosted an international race. And from the outside looking in, it looked incredible. I'd have to go back even further, I reckon, if we've got a, if we've got a quick sec, because I didn't really know anything about the event. Pat Langley rang me up about it, and he's like, have you seen this thing Oscar's the race director of? He's like, if, if my maths are right, 
and this is the currency exchange. It's like $100,000 in prize money. And I'm like, what, Australian? He's like, yeah. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'll think about it. Anyway, so the event was meant to be on in August. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. And Pat and I had done a Nello Summer Challenge before. I was like, do you want to come? Like, it'd be cool. Like, I can't imagine there's going to be many people there. And then things... I didn't really hear much about it after that. And I was over in America talking to Sean. And he was like, oh, maybe just be wary. I've been to some events like this. And, you know, they turn out to be, you know, maybe not what they say they're going to be. Literally, when I was there talking to him one morning in Hood River... I get an email to say the event's been postponed. And I was like, oh, okay, here you go, Sean. You were so desperate um, for a travel buddy. You rang me and said, hey, um, have you heard about this race in Malaysia? And I said, no, what do you mean? You, oh, don't tell anyone. Let's keep, it, let's keep it quiet, but we could potentially <laughs> go there and win thousands of dollars because I don't know if anyone's doing it. I'm like, oh, okay. It's funny that no one actually publicly spoke about knowing of this race. And a few people didn't know about the race. But I guess in the end, a few did and you were able to get there. Yeah, but it, even still, so like it got postponed and then I was like, oh, you know, I should tell Danny. So I told Danny and Danny sort of, even Danny pled ignorance and then found, and then I found out later that they'd actually contact her about going. So she knew about it for like a month. I was like, you <laughs> sneaky little thing. Um, so I think everyone was like definitely playing it down because it was like, oh my God, I think this money's going to be given out. Not that everything's about money, but like, I mean, it's sort of the way things are going in the surf ski world. I came to the realization that no, I'm actually, and I've spoken about this before, my world's, my whole world's campaign was like, I want to race as many times as possible to get race fit for the world championship. So that's why I went in the end. And I, yeah, I guess I really didn't know what to expect. I ended up traveling over there with Todd Borland. He made a last minute ditch effort to come over. Um, there was all this hype at the start and I guess rigmarole in trying to get a boat there. And then Oscar came in and said, no, everyone will have to paddle a Nello 510 plastic. I was like, okay, my life just became a lot harder regardless of if no one's going. It's still like on average 18K a day in a 22, 23 kilo plastic boat. But when we got there, it was like, I guess we went with, you know, an open mind and thinking that this could just be an event in Malaysia. And then like everything from when we got off the plane was just like level up after level up after level up of like, the best event I have ever taken part in. And wow. I ran events for two years. Oh, we know. <laughs> now, you're saying you're, you're, you're sticking by. That's the best surfski event you've ever been to. Oh, in with, with, without, a, like, wow. undoubtedly, it was incredible. Now, what was what was the local community like? Because I can't imagine there were a lot of surfski paddlers there previously, but I guess the legacy of this event is that Nello were able to, well, I guess they're able to sell about 100 to 200 <laughs> plastic 510s that are now going to live in Malaysia that people will actually be able to paddle and start getting into. What was the passion there like for racing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it was sort of disjointed. These people had run the Tour of Langkawi, which is a massive cycling event that happens around the world. And they've been running it for the last 19 years. And they were government contracted by the... And I found all this out when I got there. They were government contracted by the Malaysian to like Malaysian government and the tourist agencies to do it. They'd since been let go from the event through COVID. And they the, this was their expertise. And they sort of found like, geez, well, this Penang region is famous for its coastline. Like maybe we need to do something to promote that. 
and they went to the government and, and that's where all all the money came from. So I think, and they actually put all the events, all the races for the five days in a row. It was a five-day uh, event, racing every day. But the races started at 9 a.m., between 8 and 9 a.m. in the morning for the different wave starts. And the first wave starts were literally sit-on-top plastic kayaks, two-person. We saw people, the photos on the Paddle.News have people paddling like canoes. Seriously. And like what seems like small fishing boats with flat wing paddles, but everyone looks like they were doing it with a smile on their face, right? Yeah, I mean, it was such a new experience for them to be paddling. You know, they do a lot of, they do some flat water paddling, but they certainly don't go and paddle in the ocean. And I guess that speaks to maybe the naivety of the event organisers. And they said this as well. They thought that, what well, will you want to paddle in the nicest conditions? Like you don't want to go paddle in the wind. So that's why they had all the events on in the morning, as comp- as appeared compared to the afternoon when the wind actually did come through. So yeah, there's a few challenges. Listening to their race director, Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> well, Oscar didn't race, so that's probably why he didn't care too much for it. <laughs> the genuine stoke from everyone involved, and like you said, there were literally people on sit on top plastic two kayaks to TK twos with skirts like heating up heating them up like a sauna and half of these people are paddling in full length burkas like it's incredible I, I i wouldn't really think to be doing that but like you said the smile on their face i guess told the whole story and i think that's pretty indicative of of the success that will come out of this those boats will be left there you know the people that were paddling on the sit on top kayaks will now be paddling you know maybe on the Nello 510s by the time the next year comes around. They weren't any slouches of any paddlers by any means. God, some of the guys that paddled the TK2 had been to the Olympics for kayaking. So Mm. it's just like get transitioning into like this is ocean paddling and letting them know of the sport. But it was honestly an incredible, incredible event and one of the best I've ever been to. Just finally, Mark, one quote that stuck with me from David Mocker about the event. He described... Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, is the sleeping giant Ooh, in yeah. terms of surf ski potential. Yeah, you, you agree with that? Sleeping giant in terms of participation, but also sleeping giant in terms of um, event expenditure and wanting to be the best. Yeah, right. Between someone like Hong Kong, don't really know, maybe that's right with everything that's happening in China, but between Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Singapore, they all want to outdo each other. So now this is the level that Malaysia's taken it to with like TV broadcast. They're doing post-race interviews, full press conferences. You were sit, yeah, you were sitting up there at the yeah, front, full, had the hat full on, press conference, yeah, with a trophy, got my medal. So like that's the mm. standard now, right? And then from this point forward, if this, there's a Singapore event on in uh, December. Like, they're going to be looking like, okay, that's where we need to go. Yeah. And things will just elevate and progress from that. And I, I think he's exactly right in that sense. Well, maybe Sleeping Giant in terms of competition as well. I'm sure there's a few guys from the Whack the Wave race that are looking at the results. And they're going, I was about 10 minutes behind Mackenzie Heinart over a two-hour race here. And then the guy goes and gets third in the world. So they're probably placing themselves somewhere around that <laughs> top 10 after the way you paddled between the two. Yeah, they're in the top 10. It must be. <laughs> That's a good point. It sounds like an incredible event, something that you're really lucky to get to experience. And hopefully we all get to experience in the coming years. Number two. Norton embracing the unknown ahead of the Shore and Partners WA Race Week. Now, we've spoken a fair bit about some of the athletes who 
We're missing from the world championships, two-time world champion Sean Rice, American superstar, and beloved listener Austin <laughs> Kiefer would have been right in that mix as well. Tom Norton's a rather unique one, Mac, because he was sitting at home on the other side of the world watching the race, fully fit, race ready. Yeah, super fit. Ready to go, but he made the decision not to, obviously, with the impending birth of his first child, who has now been welcomed into the world, Georgia. Laird and Tommy posting online, welcoming Toby. Toby, Toby, Jeremy, Norton. Yeah, so congratulations to both of them. Um, Mac, you know how humble Tommy is. He doesn't really want to speak about his own progress and ability anytime, but I had a chat to him about how he is going. He's a real X factor coming into the WA race week, and like I said, he is kind of the forgotten man in everything at the moment. Well, yeah, you speak of the people that were left out from the World Championship. You had Sean Rice, who was the one that won, and I'm, I'm not going to... Nicky Norton, he de- definitely deserves his world title, but Sean had oh, won. Oh, Matt, in- give, it a, give it a break. Leave the guy alone. <laughs> I'm just saying, out. Sean had won previously in, in a full field. Tommy Norton was actually the defending champion from that event. That's right, of the Nello Summer Challenge. So, yeah, and it was in very similar conditions. We did race the other way, but the, the mm. wind strength was pretty well exactly the same. So, yeah, he was a, like, he say that, like, he would have been so primed for that. And you're right, like, I've paddled with Tommy a lot recently. Um, and he's probably on the trajectory, he's definitely on the trajectory that I was on to the World Championships. Like, just yeah. flogging yourself and you've got a limited time and you, like, you don't have anything to lose, right? He's just become mm. a dad, like... It doesn't like it's, it seems like the bottom of the list, but for him, it means something, and he's going there and he's taking the whole family across. Like, he's a, he's a oh, you can't say he's a dark horse, like, he's not a dark horse by any means. It's just the forgotten, the forgotten paddler. Well, the last two doctors, Tommy's bagged a fifth and a sixth overall, but I feel like in that time, he's now made that step up to winning international races, and he, he understands that he can win those races now as well. So, I think we're going to see a really improved paddler too. Not to mention the fact he's got dad strength. Big time. That is really going to factor into things. You think about Corey Hill putting together what may have been the greatest run of performances that we have seen in modern racing in 2019 when he won everything towards the back end of the year. It came after the arrival of his first son. So we're tapping into a certain kind of strength there. But I think in terms of a technical side of training structure as well, Tommy's been working towards the one goal. We went to the World Championships We both had a month off the water after that. I guess from the time that we finished training, went there and raced and then came back, you chose to have a holiday. I chose to get sick. (laughs) The the thing is, though, is through that entire time, Tommy's continued to train. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it may be... I can't imagine he's having the most enjoyable sleeps right now or, you know, he's been able to get out as as frequently as he was before. And It's funny, Georgia as well. Like, I know Georgia quite well. I've known her for a long time. We both have... And I actually started doing some kayaking sessions with Tommy um, and Dane Sloss on a Tuesday morning. And I would turn up to get my get Tommy's kayak out of the shed. Um, and he was still inside getting changed. He lets me borrow it. And George is out there doing chin-ups at 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> with a weight belt. Yeah. Without, like, a, without a weight. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, I mean, that's just the... That's just the family they are. You're right. Like, in terms of dad's strength, he's definitely going to have it because 
George is there just full support because she's been there and done it and wants him to succeed as well. Well, she's been there and won it. Yeah. She won the race in 2018 in a stacked field. She's not going to race this year, understandably. (laughs) Mate, if if she was, she'd probably be going top five or skill alone, right? Just in terms of being such a good downwind paddler. Yeah. As for Tommy, now you made this point before that... The one quote that stands out to me from this article, and he said it unprompted, I was asking about the disruptions from now until the doctor. And he said, and I quote, I don't see my life changing too much. (laughs) Now, I don't know the naivety that potentially may be at play there, but you're right, they are such paddlers. I I said to Tommy, mate, was there ever any thought of just taking a a step back from racing this year? And he said, no, I'm a paddler. It's, It's what I do. So... He is going to be absolutely firing come the Shore and Partners WA Race Week. God, there's going to be so much for us to chat about on the lead-in to that. Mm -hmm. And we'll be bringing you all of the latest as it does get closer. But for now, well done and congratulations to Tommy and Georgia. Oh, yeah. No, we should should really (laughs) ramp up. Number one. Miraculous escape for Paddler attacked by shark during race. This is the most cooked thing we've ever seen that we've ever spoken about on this podcast. And we've spoken about nature getting involved in people's paddling in sessions. Remember the story of the guy who had been, his ski was crushed by a whale in South Africa. Like all of that stuff is so unbelievable. But this is... Even the two that, the two that got sort of like taken into the mouth of a whale oh yeah that was incredible right. that was early that was early doors that was the funny old Pinocchio but, story. but that still has nothing this on this nat drummond an australian paddler in adelaide of south australia had just started the third round of the sa ocean paddler series was 400 meters offshore and i've paddled there at sea cliff surf life saving club the water's quite shallow so it's not that deep out the there. whole it's shallow the whole way out when he felt himself start lifting into the air and a shark had bitten the ass out of his ski. If you haven't seen the photos, get on the paddler right now because it is simply unbelievable. The shark has bitten the bottom and I'm like, it's bitten the ass. I keep saying it, but literally the seat of the ski has been bitten at a perpendicular angle, completely chomped away and somehow Nat was thrown into the air away from the shark. He didn't have a scratch on him. His ski was cooked. The rails are still intact, Macca. Like, it hasn't snapped the ski in half. It is, like, the ski is still in one piece. A clean bite. Thankfully, everyone around Nat at the time heard the noise. For those behind him, they saw it happen. They did not hesitate to sprint over to him and help him. They got him on the back of a couple of skis like a life raft and kept him out of the water. The shark disappeared. No wonder it would have had a lot of carbon fiber and fiberglass in its mouth. <laughs> um, unsurprisingly, the race stopped. No one actually thought, you yeah. know what, I'm going to keep going. Here's Can't my chance. That. I'm going to get away here. And they went back <laughs> to the beach and started debriefing on what is the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. It's made up. It, is, it? It, it honestly feels made up. Now, from the top, I do want to stress the fact that no one was harmed. They're obviously is a fairly traumatic side to all of this as well. It is scary as fuck. Like, that is a really, really destabilizing thing to happen to Nat and also the paddling community there to bear witness to it. But thankfully, everyone was okay. Nat's been able to speak about his experience. He spoke to media on the day there. 
the the group his father has been speaking to media in the days since here in Australia so he's okay he's actually gotten back on the water as well and he's back into paddling that's good that's good so Maka that's that's the first hurdle the hard hurdle a hundred percent a hundred percent so Nat if you are listening we do wish you well mate and we're so glad to see you back in the water but Maka I want to focus on this what are the fucking chances like seriously that is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in paddling. I don't understand. Because, like, he's in a pack, right? Like, it's it's only at the start of the race. It's not like we're 10Ks in, it's good downwind, you're on your Less own. Less than one minute. Less than one minute into the race, there are skis all around. Yeah, you're sitting with people. Like, you know, what are the chances that... Like, how's it... I don't know. I don't know what the shark has thought. Maybe it's seriously just thought... You know, it's not like we can get him on to have an interview with him, or he or she. But um, you know, it's it's like it's thought it's a large creature at the, at the surface and and come to inspect. And I don't know, has it come with more speed than it wanted to and run in and be like, ah oh, shit, I didn't want to be here, or has it come to actually like have a bite? They do say sharks are like that. They're like children. They want to put things in their mouth to taste. Them. Maka, Maka. The shark has not come in with too much speed and he's like, whoa, 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 I can't stop. I'm going to have to now <laughs> bite the ass out of this ski. Like, it, has, it hasn't it has just randomly left its mouth open. It has completely destroyed this ski with intent. There's bits of flesh, shark flesh, on the ski when it was brought back into the beach. That's so... Yeah, that's... I don't think you're right, Maka. We, we can't get the shark on the podcast. Uh, you, that, you were correct in <laughs> saying that. Unfortunately not. But, hey, there's a pretty real chance that that shark isn't doing okay now either because it, it did bite a lot of carbon fibre and fiberglass and I guess swallowed it as well. Yeah, that's not ideal. insides out, but... Which is a real shame, um, I, I guess, to the shark if you're listening. You know, sorry, like, I'm... I'm I, 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 sorry. I, look, I don't know if it's a good shark or a bad shark. Actually, no, I don't even... I, I, that's a joke. I don't want to go down the path of sharks and all that kind Dave of thing. Dave Morgan would like you for that. One thing that, that one thing that Nat was very quick to say was that he did say, look, we're in, you know, we're in the shark's domain. I don't want this to put people off going to the beach in summer. We're a long way off the coast. You know, he said all of the right things there. But... Well-trained in media. He actually did speak really, really well. And, you know, he... I was sitting at work that day and I got a call from a friend who is from South Australia and they said, holy shit, look at this. You know, I sent me the photos when this is just happening in SA. And I said, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm not going to put anything online yet. Obviously, they need a bit of time to kind of deal with all of that. And they, he said, oh, yeah, don't let the media know, you know, don't get, don't let work know about it. I'm like, okay. So I've got off the phone and someone said, oh, who was that? I'm like, oh, no, nothing. No, no, all good. And I've, I've opened the, the news rundown for Adelaide. Looking at looking at Adelaide's news. And I was, okay, not in their rundown yet. They don't know about it. And I just kept kind of checking it, checking it. And then all of a sudden, new lead story pops in, which says Seacliff. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess they know about it now. But Nat, Nat did speak that afternoon. And, and he said it best when he said, I might buy a lottery ticket. It's a one in a million, something I thought never even could happen. And you know what? On that front, he is right. I don't understand how the shark has bitten the ass of the skin. It's not the tail like, it's not the nose or the tail like it often is. It's literally in the dead center and the ski hasn't snapped in half. It's remaining intact. Good advertisement for Fen, I guess. Yeah, not it was bad. A, it was, a, it was can, a Fen that he was paddling. Can survive a shark attack. Mac, we've had so many shark stories on this podcast. We've had so many people 
speaking about their ocean encounters, but this absolutely takes the cake. Wow, we. I don't really know what else to say. I'm probably on the same path as Nat in the fact that I actually can't rationalize it happening. I've seen sharks out in the water, they've been close, like I can imagine them coming up to have a look. You can even understand them ramming or like taking a bite out of the back of a ski or something. Like that's that thing knows what it's doing, right? It's come it's come for the meat, right at right at the spot. Nat's been a surf lifesaver at Sea Cliff since he was six years old and he said he had never even seen a shark. That's incredible around itself. There. I've got a little I've got a little anecdote, a little spooky anecdote just to wrap this up. Is that Nat bought the ski secondhand off a man named Luke Jones, who was part of the I think Luke Jones has been mentioned on this podcast because he won the open ski relay at Aussies in the surf life saving special episode that we did. Remember that? It feels like a lifetime ago. It does, it does. Luke Jones, a very experienced paddler, a very good paddler as well, sold Nat that ski. Now, two years earlier, to the exact same date, Jonesy had his own shark encounter paddling that same ski two years Put that earlier. Thing in the bin. That's got to that's get cut He's up. then sold it to Nat. Sorry, fan. Oh, look, to be honest, I think the shark's done a pretty good job of cutting that ski up. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you can whack Goes a bit of resin on that and club. a bit of epoxy and try and patch that thing up. I think that one might go to the cleaners now, but for good reason, because there is some kind of energy around that ski that has attracted these things happening. So, yeah, thank God that Nat's okay. Wow. Yeah. It is just the most, most importantly. It is just the most incredible thing. And look, it does make you uh make you aware that we're not alone out there. So yeah, <laughs> always be aware of that when we are out paddling. All right, Mackie, you hit the showers. You're gonna take a very quick break as I have a chat to Perfect. a special guest on this episode of the Paddlers Pod, and then we're gonna be back for question corner just after this. Well, there's been so much chat about the Shore and Partners WA Race Week, but there is another huge race in Australia that is getting closer and closer now, and that is the 20 Beaches Ocean Classic. It's a staple on the calendar, an icon here in Australia. And to chat about everything that is being planned for the race this year is one of its organisers, Pat Langley. Patty, long-time listener, welcome to the podcast. Oh, long-time listener, first-time caller, mate. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hey, and thank you as well. We obviously speak about you and everything that you do at Vicobi a fair bit on the podcast. You're a longtime supporter of us. But Pat, today we're chatting about the 20 Beaches Ocean Classic because it is coming around fast. Australia's oldest ocean ski race and it's set for another huge year again this year. Mate, it is. And, and look, it's a race that's very dear to our hearts. It's, you know, it's obviously our local race here in Sydney and it's got such a fantastic history. Um you know, dating way back into the 80s. And um, it, it really probably in its current um, format uh, got brought back together by, you know, Justin Ryan was really the catalyst to to bring this race back in, into mm. its glory. And um, he's managed to convince a, a couple of us, myself and Mark Keogh, to... Uh, to help him along with Dean Gardner, who obviously needs no introduction, and um, and Yanda Yanda gets involved, and another gentleman by the name of Julian Shelbourne. But look, we, we're just a bunch of paddlers that just love the sport and, and love putting on a race. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is one of the icons on the calendar. In fact, you know, there we were speaking just before about the fact that it is going to be another huge year this year because we have so many international athletes coming across for the doctor and then it's always the pilgrimage to come to the east coast spend a couple of weeks here and race 
at the 20 beaches. But last year was a really interesting one for me and it showed just how important this race is in the community and that there was no prize money, the borders weren't open, but there were still 350 people enter the 20 beaches. It has such a huge following here, doesn't it? Oh, look, it sure does. And, and I think it's one of those races that for many paddlers, um, particularly here in Sydney, it's on their bucket list. You know, it's like, I've, I've got to complete that race. Um, i really got to do it. Because we all know it, it can be some amazing downwind conditions, but it can also oh, be yeah. a, a real challenging race. And I think that's that's really what the 20 Beaches is about. And um, so last year we had, you know, look, we were, we were pretty lucky in the end. The conditions got pretty big and um, everyone completed. And, and look, we also had a number of people that um, decided that that day was not for them, which which was a great call by them, and we've honoured yeah. um, their entry again this year. So we're expecting to see a lot of those people back again this year, and and also all the regular charges. And, and once again, we've got all the support from from uh, Shoreham Partners and L11s as usual, who's been our uh, you know sponsor of this event from a, you know right from the get go when we got involved, and um, wouldn't be possible without him. KPMG um, Dave Heathcote in particular, he's been a massive supporter of our race. Um, Mike Pond with Prime 100. Um, we've also got uh, Gumtree and Ocean Paddler and Vicobi, and, and even a, a great paddler from our squad, uh, Tim Hookins with Ad Style. He's putting money on for the junior division as well. So um, we've got some great support for this this race along with Earl, and we're, we're obviously raising money for Gotcha for Life, um, Gus Wallen's fantastic charity. Uh, you know what? It's a fact that. It isn't the headline grabber. You guys don't promote it as the number one fact, given the race's history, but I think I'm right in saying it's Australia's richest race as well. There's $10,000 for the male and female winners. Well, yeah, on an individual basis, it is. I have to, don't correct me, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it's sort of around about the $80,000 mark. So it's, um, huge. it's, it's huge. Huge, Sam. Now, entries for the race are now open. If you know that you're going to be taking part, and so many of our listeners do, it's a given that they're going to be racing the 20 beaches, it's time to get those entries in because, what, Pat, they have about a month and then the price is going to get up. So you want to get in before that does happen. Is that November 24th, am I right in saying? Mate, that is correct, yes. So November 24th, the price goes up. So you really want to get your entry in before then. Um, it's December the 10th, Saturday, December the 10th, um, it is also all, always a fantastic day and um, you'll never regret it. And it's a great way to finish off the year as well. I think everyone's in a really sort of um, great frame of mind around that time of year. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely worth the trip if you're from out of town. It's Surf Ski's unofficial Christmas party. There, you can use that marketing <laughs> line for free. That one's, that one's something that I've just thought of. Um, now, Pat... Thank you, mate. We might give you a job here if I can't do that sort of marketing. <laughs> now, before I let you go, Pat, there is one more thing that we have to speak of around marketing. Macker and I have spoken about this on the podcast, I think after the race last year. 20 Beaches is the name of the race, given that it was formed and it used to go from one end of the northern beaches to the other. Is there any thought on the current course to rename the race <laughs> potentially 16 beaches 16 is it even 16 i'm not quite sure you well i did account we did account on on the podcast last year i tested macris to how many he knew he didn't know as many beaches as he as he thought along the way but it is it, it, it is a question that needs to be asked it is really look it is a bit unfortunate and i think look if we 
had our way, we would we would be back on the original course. I think um, for a number of reasons, a few around council, you know, local council restrictions, but also from a desire to make sure that we can have some assurity over the start and finish. I think that's why we oh, absolutely we've made this course what it is, and and I think it works because we we know we can always get a start and finish without a, you know. Um, like getting off a, a surf beach in uh, December the 10th <laughs> with patrols and everything is pretty hard work and, and we've seen what happens in the past. But um, So that that would be ideal if we could go back to that, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, um, Hey, you know what? I don't even want that to happen. Yeah. I, at the end of every race, I'm more than ready to, to get off the water and go and crack a beer and relax because it is a, it is a gruelling race as they all are every time you put your... You ski on the start line. We can't wait to do that again this year. That date, again, November 24, you must get your entries in before then. You do not want to miss out on the price at the moment. So, Pat, Saturday the 10th of December, the 2022 Shore and Partners 20 Beaches Ocean Classic. You want to get your entries in before November 24 because you do not want to miss out on this event. Thanks, Sam. It's going to be great. See you there. Yeah, that's right. You weren't hearing things before that chat with the 20 Beaches Ocean Classic. We have now named this segment Question Corner. <laughs> we've done it. That's what we've set it on, Macca. <laughs> What's your thoughts? Do you like the name? It's good. It, it's close to our alignment of alliteration, but it's not there. We've gone away from the P's, haven't we? We've ran yes, out of P's. We, we did. I Don't worry. It wasn't for lack of trying. I was I was trying. I was deep on the dark web. Go on. What was your suggestion again? No, that was for the, that was actually for the other one. It was... Um, okay. Well, I'm going to... Don't... No, no. We're not even... We're even. not even ready to reveal all the cars up our sleeve yet. So Factual we'll keep that fables. for a moment. <laughs> Question. Question Corner. This is the segment where we put the call out to you, our dear listeners, and we want to hear from you. Fire a question hey, to us that Macca and I are going to chat through. We have been getting a few coming in. We always want more coming in. The easiest way to do that for now is just to shoot us a message or an email or through the message form on the website, thepaddler.news. And today's has come in from Tom Swedish from the United States of America, the land of the free, who did write this in <laughs> while he was at the World Championships in Portugal. Now, the race, of course, ran a day before the waiting period was supposed to start. I don't know. Can we even say that? Yeah, it was before the waiting period was supposed to yeah, start. Yeah, it definitely was. And for the next yep. few days after that, everyone was in Portugal, many from places where they don't normally get waves, and were just having a hell of a time out the front of the hotel, catching waves in and out and trying different boats. The question is on that theme, which was, watching the break behind the hotel today, I wonder if there is merit to a discussion around surfer and surf ski etiquette in a surf break. Now, it raises some interesting points. So for those who weren't at the World Championships, yeah, there were surf skis catching waves, but also people surfing as well at the same time. Stand up surfing. Mackenzie, what do you have to contribute on this as a man who is... A world champion. I'm also a flat water specialist. So That's I don't right. Have much a world inside. championship flat water specialist, but also <laughs> big wave macker as well. You know, you balance the two as a big wave surfer. So, Mac, what are your thoughts on it? My initial, oh, I just have to go with my gut. My initial thought is that stand up surfers just have right away. I guess that would go back to the maritime safety laws, sort of worldwide, which say that the the vessel with the least amount of power normally has right away. 
because they can... Was that written on a scroll? How old is this ye old legislation? Oh, well, it's actually... It was part of my part of the questions in my Queensland Marine Drivers Test, but sure, it's, it was not that old. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sticking with that. I'm saying that surfers should have right away because they cannot get out of the way quicker, but I'm also wary of the fact that that's not so true in this fact because surfers, stand-up surf boards are a lot more manoeuvrable than a kayak is like you know what it's like trying to change direction on a ski geez it's hard the thing's more than six meters long and yeah i'm I'm actually a bit dumbfounded i'm gonna say surfers have right away um but if you're a surfer listening and this is coming from a surfer maybe just like be wary because you know it's not very easy to just stop a surf a, a surf ski if you're in the way i like that you've put the call out to surfers who don't paddle as if they're somehow randomly stumbled upon the paddler's pod <laughs> and they're now 40 minutes in going oh yeah i'm sticking around yeah i don't really understand tommy norton yeah cool good on the guy um good on <laughs> Malaysia. i'm going there look let's Go take a step there. back for a quick moment and that is a point to make is that a lot of people who do paddle don't have a background in surf culture which you and yes. I do in okay. terms of priority and who gets right of way to catch I've, waves. And it essentially comes end, yeah. back to this basic principle of whoever's been waiting the longest has the right of way and deserves to catch a wave, right? And I know there's intricacies around that and, you know, whoever's sitting further out, whoever's on the inside, all of that kind of thing comes into it. However, the idea of priority and where it comes from, who has right of way, is founded on the principle that, You don't want to be the person who hogs all the waves and is selfish. It's about sharing things around. So for me to apply that to this current scenario, and one thing that I saw happening a lot at Portugal was that because skis can pick up the waves further out to sea, people were just going in and out and in and out on a continuous loop and taking all of the waves and denying others the opportunity, the surfers in this case, the opportunity to catch the waves and also enjoy the ocean that's wrong. There needs to be some kind of element of waiting your turn and sharing it around because you don't want to be that person that is an absolute absolute tosser just taking all of the waves from everyone out in the water. Yeah, that's tough, right? Like I now surf like a six. I should probably, if I want to like go high performance surfing for my body weight, height, whatever i should surf on like a 510 shortboard now i go and surf like a 69 sort of elongated shortboard with a lot of volume so i can catch more waves which is sort of opposite mm. to what you're saying of like how many waves can i catch and maybe i'm a bit yeah but a, maybe I'm a, a bit 69 a is still not the same as a 6.9 meter surf That's, that can pick it up further out. yeah you're right look I think there's a there's a way in which it can be shared. I don't think that we can actually surf apart from Leopold Tepper. Do you remember Leopold in Tahiti? Oh, when he told my, us, we actually almost saw him got barred. Yeah, when he's like, "Oh, we're surfing this far <laughs> left, no one around." He's like, "Yeah, I charge out on my surf scale." I'm like, "Dude, I'm getting barreled on my surfboard. There's no way." And he comes in from nowhere, and he's like, literally, in the, pocket. the back of his boat was getting fully. <laughs> It was incredible. Out of control. I've never seen anything like that. But I don't think that that really happens. I think this you can't really surf your surf ski in the spot where the surfers want to be. And I think if we sort of, if everyone understands that, you're not going to be 
in the power source pocket crest of the wave, you're going to be further away. And I think that surfer and surf ski can coexist in that space. We can coexist. And you've touched on a really good point there, Maka, because that is what I was going to say was that when I go and catch waves at a point, I will sit, you know, well to the side of the surfer in the power source of the wave. I'm not close enough or doing enough that it is creating splashing, which does make the wave break further away from the surfer and close them out. It's the wrong thing to do. But I'm still getting a ride on my ski in a spot that's good for me and I'm not affecting the surfer or their wave in any way. That's the only way that you can just continually catch waves and be selfish like that. I think the overarching rule here, right, is just don't be a prick. Don't, <laughs> don't come in and take all the waves. You've got to share the ocean because, look, that's what that's what it's all about, right? It's about that sense of community. It's about sharing the ocean and everyone trying to have a good time. As much as I enjoy surfing and catching waves, I also get just as much, and it could even be more enjoyment, out of watching someone catch a wave for a lot of these people that don't have waves around the world. They've come here... And like, I'd rather sit there. We, yeah, we didn't even yeah. paddle and catch waves. I just sat there and watched people enjoy themselves. And okay, we made fun of a few people that fell off and probably took a too late a drop, but it was still really no, nice hey, to hey, see. Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't remember making fun of everyone. I remember laughing with them. I'm sure they were laughing when they lost their skin. I, I might have critiqued. Now, the, you're right. We, we, we were happy having a beer. They were happy catching waves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it should, you know, everyone happy. Yeah, that's, that's the point. Yeah, right? we get it. Don't be a prick and everyone will be happy. Maka, to wrap up this episode of the Paddler Spot, episode 40, by the way. We're starting to stack them. Episode 40. Congratulations. That's a... I want to come back to something that I try and kind of announced, kind of didn't on the last episode of the Paddlers Pod. A few people would have noticed that we did speak about, I mentioned the words live podcast recording twice in the in the conversation Uh-oh. about the Shore and Partners WA Race Week. Something is going to be happening about that. <laughs> All right? We... we <laughs> It is now. Sam's you fully just released it so early. No, you know what? We kind of we kind of got to back people into a corner so that it happens. Something will be happening about that. The cat is somewhat out of the bag that we have been planning to do a live podcast recording at the WA Race Week. That means we will have guests. That means we will have some gifts and prizes to give away. Oh, can we get one of those cannons that you shoot out? I don't know if we have enough people. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Hopefully some people come to be able to claim these things. We'll just smack people in the front And we row. will have a lineup that will be announced down the line. If you're not going to be at the Shore and Partners WA Race Week, do not stress because we are going to be releasing the audio from that as a normal podcast episode so you can feel like you were there. But everyone <laughs> who is going to be going to WA... Keep an eye on our social media channels because we will be announcing the details around that. Our first ever live recording, Mac. How's that? I'm a little bit excited. We're, we're sort of not there yet. Still time, dates, a few uh, intricacies to work out, but who cares? We'll get up there. We'll have some banner. We'll make sure everyone else has some. We'll throw some stuff away and I don't know. Have, can we have a beer? Can we do that? Well, we, know, we normally do. Cool. We normally do. Yeah. You and I. Now, Maka, this is the second straight episode where we have made an announcement. And for all of our listeners who are still sticking with us, we've got another couple of announcements to come 
in the very next episode we do, which will be happening. Hopefully shorter. I dare yeah, say hopefully a shorter time frame. We're going to be back next week because, Mac, you and I are actually going to be together on the Gold Coast. Oh, it's all so exciting. Reunited once again. So keep an eye out. It's all winding up at the moment at the Paddler. Keep an eye on the Paddler's social Jeez, media channels. Well. And we will be back chatting to you Watch again very soon. Until then, happy paddling. Don't drop in on any surfers. Take care and enjoy. <laughs> the Paddler's Pod with Sam and Mecca.